at the cross I bow my knee and as we were worshipping just ask this is the cross that we're going to be enacting the passion of the king this coming Friday and this is what we celebrate this time of year and often we need a visual symbol and I was imagining putting this cross here and asking you if you wanted to come and bow your knee in an orderly way to be able to bow our knee at the cross of Calvary. If we were there, were you there when they crucified my Lord? We sing these songs, these hymns. If we were born at the time of his first coming, would we have been at the cross? Unlikely, just as there was only a few then. And it's something that we need to meditate, examine ourselves. I'd want to believe and I know because we're here we would want to come and bow. I know if I put this here and I invited you, you would come. Therefore you've bowed in your heart. But let's keep this before our eyes. This is not the cross of just suffering. It's the cross of victory. Because of this day, we know that we have the resurrection and we stand in liberty. We stand forgiven. We stand cleansed this morning. We stand complete. We stand perfected in the cross of Calvary. At the cross, I bow my knee. God bless you. Please turn around. Just acknowledge everyone in the house. God bless you. You're welcome. Praise the Lord. Before the senior pastor goes down, that's fine, leave it. No, no, it's fine. Come, the senior pastor. We just want to celebrate as well. I know there's been many birthdays this month. Amen. Just want to give a card to the senior pastor. Thank you for the tireless work she does over the year. God bless you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Amen. It's a blessing. And she stands representing everyone here who has had their birthday in March. Gary's downstairs. And it's his birthday. Congratulations, Gary's watching on the screen downstairs. So God bless you. Amen. It's good to be here. Amen. We celebrate what the Lord is doing on this day. Amen. Praise God. And as I was speaking on Friday, we're on a journey. We're looking at Psalm 119. Who was who remembers or who watched in tuned in on Friday? We we explored Psalm 119. And we looked how it's structured, the structure, the, the matrix of the psalm. And we saw that Psalms made up of every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the 22 letters broken down into eight stanzas, eight parts. Each section is eight verses. And each verse begins with that relevant letter of the alphabet. So Aleph will have all, Aleph, Aleph is the first letter. And then we have Beth is the second. So every, the second set of eight verses begin with Beth, each verse begins with Beth. It's an ingenious way of doing this. It's inspiring. It's, it's inspired by the Word of God. And the Word of God is quite deep. That's why Paul says about the depth, length, width, and height of the Word of God. It speaks about four dimensions, whether we, we acknowledge three dimensions, but within the Word of God, there's a fourth, there's a spiritual element that we must not overlook and neglect. So we just want to thank God on this day. And I will take a journey through the continuing our journey, our spiritual journey. And the subject, the theme, or the title for today's message is, I need to get back to the place of blessing. I need to get back 
from the place of my blessing. Praise God. And I want to lay down a few references, scriptures. I want to explore them, but we have to participate in this journey. I don't want you to be spectators. I want you to be participators. I don't want you to sit on the fence. I want you to be involved in the journey in what God will have to say in our lives this morning and this afternoon. And people watching live stream, you're welcome. So this we know... Let's just go straight into the Word of God. In Genesis chapter 13, and I would just reflect what is the Word saying to us. Be prayerful to receive the deep richness of the Word of God. Genesis chapter 13 verse 1 reads as follows. Let's stand together for this reading. Just a few verses. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went, to his, he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And verse 4, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Please take your seats. I know everyone is on a different place in their spiritual journey, but I'd say you, you're in the right place now. I believe God has a word for us in due season. Praise God. So I want just to be thinking about the things we're reading, the things we're listening to, and how we understand them, and not just understand them, how do we apply them in our lives? Because it's not, not good enough just to have the knowledge, it's how do you use that knowledge to navigate through your life's journey, praise God. So we begin in chapter 13, the chapter after, chapter 12, where it speaks about God calling Abraham. And notice his name is quite shortened. It's Abraham, it's not Abraham at this point. The fifth Hebrew letter hasn't been added. The fifth Hebrew letter is the He in the Hebrew, which we, which we acknowledge represents grace. And through our journey, God gives us grace. God is graceful to us. God is favorable to us. God blesses us. But we have to take the journey to have that outcome. We want the end before the beginning. We want guarantees before we start the journey. But Abraham, Abraham started a journey just trusting on God. And oftentimes we want guarantees and we're not trusting on God. We want, we want the physical evidence before we take one step. We want God to prove himself to us. Not that the cross hasn't, isn't proof enough. We want God continually to prove things to us on a daily moment to moment basis. So we told, so he leaves his father's house, he leaves his country, he leaves his relatives to go to a place where God was calling him. He didn't know the destination fully, he didn't know the way to get there, he just had to trust in God. And all we can do in our lives is trust on a daily basis, trust God on our daily basis. There's no guarantees of tomorrow, tomorrow may never come, so we trust God on this day, at this moment, being here now. Because nobody knows what the next moment will bring. So we're trusting on God. And he took a journey. But he came to a place, we read, as he started his journey trusting God, there was a distraction. And it happens to us in life. We're distracted. We're sideswiped sometimes. We take our focus off the ball. We take our focus off God. In fact, when the disciples were in the boat in the Sea of Galilee and there was the storms and Jesus walked on the waves. Uh, and Jesus appears to them. They're frightened at first on the first initial encounter and then Peter asked can I can he go to him can I come to you walking on the water 
And God put Jesus permitted him. But on the course between getting off the boat and coming to Jesus, he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And sometimes God calls us on a journey. The important thing is that we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus to get to our destination, to rise, to walk on the sea of adversity, the sea of challenge, the sea of opposition. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Hallelujah. So Abraham looked at the physical as opposed to acknowledging the promise of God. And if we go to Genesis chapter 12, just prior to this, before I come to this passage, verse 12, watch what it says here. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptian, no, verse 10, sorry, 12, verse 10, please. Now there was a famine in the land. There was a famine around. He was looking things physically. He was influenced by what he was seeing physically taking place around his life. And we oftentimes lose sight of our spiritual journey, of our spiritual identity, by what's happening in the world around us, the wars, the conflicts, the natural disasters. And we take our eyes of God Jesus who promised to get us to our destination. Yeah, amen. And we're told there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. And sometimes we come off the course that God's taken us because of influence, something that's happened around our lives. He said, she said, they said, something has happened. We've taken our focus off where God, how God has spoken and what God has said. Has it ever happened to you? You started to plan something and because of all the naysayers, all the negativity, all the things you experience, you become disillusioned and disheartened and you take your eyes from where you really should be and you lose out in the long term, you lose out for a short-term experience, a short-term fix, a quick fix. We want a quick fix sometimes. And we want a quick solution. We need to trust God. Abraham perhaps did not know that man does not live by bread alone. Come on, I wish I'm speaking to someone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, God will sustain us. Hallelujah, praise God. He will nourish us. Hallelujah. In his way. And we're told he goes, he says, uh, for the famine was severe in the land. Your, the, your environment does not define who you are or your possibilities or what you can do. It's God determines everything. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. God sent ravens to feed his prophet in the wilderness. I wish, come on, let's. God will provide your every need when you trust on him. When you embrace him and you, sense, you have him sensor in your life, all things, God will provide whatever you need. Maybe he doesn't give you what you want. Maybe he doesn't give you the, 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 the fair ride, fair ground ride that you want, the sensationalism. But he'll give you what you need to sustain you to get you somewhere greater than you can ever imagine in yourself. Because we want what's good, but God wants what's best for you. Hallelujah. And sometimes when we come to that foreign place, it's difficult to call on the name of the Lord. When you become distracted, you find it difficult to call on the name of the Lord. The Israelites find difficulty to sing the Lord's song in captivity in Babylon. Oh, hallelujah. Psalm 137 verse 1 and 4 tells us this. And sometimes we find ourselves in the Babylon of our lives. And what does Babylon mean? It's not just a geographical place. It's a spiritual disposition of confusion because the word Babylon means confusion. And the world at this moment in time is confused. People in churches are confused as to who God is. And they cannot sing the Lord's song because they cannot see clearly. 
They cannot see the wood for the trees. To even to the point in Egypt, Abraham tells his wife, don't tell Pharaoh that you are my wife. Tell him that you are my sister. It distorts reality for you. How far can I take this? And so Psalm 137 verse 1 says, By the rivers of Babylon, by the rivers of confusion, there we sat down. Ye, we wept when we remembered Zion. We remember there's something better than where we are. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, there's something better than where you are, your circumstance. There's something better than your situation that God has planned for you. Hallelujah. And verse 2 says this. We hang our harps upon the willows in the, in the midst of it. And then verse 3 says, for, though, for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested myrrh, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then they go to say, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If you're in a place, this, you're in a place out of sync with God, it's a foreign land. And it's difficult to sing the Lord's song in that foreign land. Hallelujah. Praise God. So even in the foreign land, Abraham tries to encourage his wife to say something to safeguard him physically. Hallelujah. He says, please say in verse 12, this is Genesis chapter 12, verse 13. He says this, this Abraham in this foreign land. The foreign land makes you do things, behave, act in ways that sometimes contradict who you should be. Come on. And he says, please say you are my sister, that it may, it may be well with me for you, for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Okay? We don't live because of anyone, we live because of God. If I, I was dependent on other people, how other people saw me, or what people around were saying about me, then I would lose sight of who I am. Hallelujah, praise God. In the same way, Joseph, as I said last week, Joseph, if it was dependent on the, on the butler remembering him to fulfill his destiny, it was futile. It would be hopeless. We trust on God because God never forgets you. And as I said, the thief on the cross said to the Lord, Lord, when you, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How can the Lord forget who you are? He created you. He said to him, today you should be with me in paradise. How can I forget you because you're with me all the time? He said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. If God, you feel God has left you, it's because you've moved away from the promise of God, not that God has moved away from you. Hallelujah, praise God. So we see God calls him to go back. He comes up from Egypt. He goes down to Egypt because of a severe famine. And he decides God calls him to go back to the place of the blessing where he went to Bethel. The word Bethel means house of God. He camped between Bethel and Ai, two, two poles in the midst of them. And he had to make that decision. The decision he made at that time was to go down, not go up. But God saying, now you've gone down. Now it's time to come up. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, we say what goes up must come down. God says what goes down must come up. The righteous might fall seven times, but he rises again. Hallelujah. God has a tendency to always lift you up. All, all will always rise. The anointing will always rise. You put oil on water. You shake the bottle with the oil and the water. The oil will always rise. The anointing will always cause you to rise. When God has put his seal upon you, you shall rise. Hallelujah. 
It doesn't matter what people think of you, want to do to you, keep you oppressed, keep you down. You will rise naturally. It's part of your makeup, part of your ma- your your matrix, part of, of, of who you, your DNA. You're going to rise. That's why Jesus can walk on the water because oil anointing rises, rises above the water. Hallelujah. So in Egypt, he has one outlook, but he had to come out of Egypt to come back to his rightful place. And sometimes Egypt is a metaphor, an attitude, a disposition, an outlook. Babylon is an attitude, a disposition. We have to come out of that in our minds. The prodigal son was in the far country, but when he came to himself, he realized in his father's house there was more and plenty. Even the servants ate better than he was eating in the far country. When, he, when, when the, the, the swine food looked appetizing to him, rubbish sometimes becomes appetizing to us. When we're hungry and we want to satisfy ourselves with, 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 with the rubbish of the world. Hallelujah. But even in that far country, it was his disposition. When he acknowledged the father's house, that's the time he was in his father's house. The acknowledgement brought him into his father's house. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we need to see, we need to be careful we do not lose our spiritual place where we should be. You know, sometimes even in the height of religious festivals, we move, we, we move away from the blessing. I wish I'm speaking to someone. Even this time we're celebrating the Passover, we call it the Passover, the Baschan, or they call it the English word they use for this season is Easter, which is not really a biblical word, but it's a Passover, because we're passing over, we're coming, our, our personal leaving Egypt, coming up out of Egypt. Egypt is a symbol of everything that's the antithesis of God. Come on, I wish I'm speaking to someone. And this speaks about our Passover, the blood of Christ sets us free. Hallelujah, we pass over, praise the Lord. And this is the image here of the cross in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. This is what we're told. It's good that the senior pastor put this out. It's a very good image to put there. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And added to the vision that Penny said that you will come down and bow. Not only you'll bow down, but you'll nail everything that's opposing God. You from God, separated, will nail it on the cross. That separates you from God. Hallelujah. And then he says, verse 15, watch this. Having disarmed, disarmed the enemy. The enemy has no power against you. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them in it, praise God. And as the senior pastor said, it's not a, a symbol of sacrifice. It's a symbol of victory and overcoming the power of the cross. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but the power of, of God, the power of God unto those who are being saved. Hallelujah, praise God. And sometimes in the height of festivities, we can miss God. We can be celebrating this Passover, this Easter time, and we can be celebrating without God in the midst of our situation. I wish I'm speaking to someone. The Christmas season, we celebrate Jesus Christ, but he's not part of the, uh, the festivities. The turkey takes a more prominent place than Jesus. Santa takes a more prominent place than Jesus. Hallelujah. And sometimes we're celebrating but without God in the midst of our celebration. 
Oh, come on, I wish I'm speaking to someone. And sometimes it's easier to lose something and it's sometimes very difficult to find it again. It's highlighted in the narrative when Jesus was 12 years old and his parents took him to Jerusalem. He went into the temple. They left him and it was three days. It was three days before they noticed that he wasn't around. How long have we been celebrating and we not realized that Jesus is not around? And it was a festivity, it was a Passover, it was festivities, hallelujah. We're told in Luke chapter, let's, let's just look a few verses. I want you to think about what we're saying. You know, it's, it's important that we acknowledge what God is saying into our lives. Very important. If we go to Luke chapter 2 verse, let me see where to take it. Let's take it from verse 42 very quickly. And I want you to find today to go back to your spiritual stability Back to where we should be. And if you haven't got there in the first place, let's help people as signposts. The cross can be the signpost to get people back to that place of blessing. Because at the cross there is blessing. The cross becomes the door for a new life, a new beginning, a new experience. Hallelujah. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Verse 43. And they had, when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. They left Jerusalem. Jesus, uh, Jesus was not with them. Are we in festivities and not acknowledging that Jesus is not with us? What's this season all about? Bunny rabbits, Easter eggs, what's this season really all about? Bank holidays, what's this season really all about? Is Jesus with us in this season of our lives? And every point of our lives, not just this period, but every day of our lives, that Jesus must be not just walking with us, Jesus must be in us. Huh? That's something that people are not really acknowledging. Examine ourselves if Christ is in us, lest we are disqualified, Paul says. Give him the throne, give him your heart to be enthroned in our hearts. That he, he will inhabit the praises of his people. Hallelujah, praise God. And so it says, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. And verse 44, but supposing him to have been in the, in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Hallelujah. When we need to find, he needs to be established in our hearts, not in other people. What's the good of Christ being in someone else and not being in me? Hallelujah. Christ has to be established. I need to search my heart and see if he's in my heart. If he's in someone else, he will not profit me, he will not benefit me. He's got to be in me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Doesn't matter how, how spiritual someone else is, unless I have the relationship with God, it means nothing to me. And God wants a personal relationship with you and I. Hallelujah. Praise God. Verse 44. Uh, verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. We've got to go back to that place of the blessing. Abraham had, Abraham had to go back to the place of the blessing. Hallelujah. They had to go back to Jerusalem where the blessing. Sometimes we have left Jerusalem. Jerusalem means peace. Or teacher of peace. Sometimes we lose our peace because of the distractions of the world, the things happening around us. There might be a famine of physical things happening and it influences and impacts us and affects how we do things. The decisions we make are determined. What the television is saying, what the news media is saying, what the tabloids are saying determines our attitudes and our emotions are driven by what we're seeing around us. But we must have the peace that surpasses understanding. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. I wish I was speaking to someone. And then we find 46 very quickly. 
He says this now. So it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Hallelujah. And we see, interestingly, that where is he? In his father's house. He's doing his father's business, which is very, very important. Hallelujah. Praise God. And they become anxious. And sometimes the world creates anxiety in our lives. And the, the, the word of God accounts for this and encourages us through these situations and circumstances in our lives. Hallelujah. Because we can become distracted. And what God is saying on this day today, we've got to go back to that place of blessing. It's not a sense moving geographically. I'm not saying to you come from the back to the front or go from the front to the back, or go from Edmonton to Jerusalem, or go from, from here to somewhere else, a shrine or a monument. I'm saying change your attitude of your mind and your heart, and that's where you'll find your blessing. It's our attitude that determines our blessing, where our spiritual disposition is our attitude. The thief was nailed to the cross. He couldn't move. He couldn't leave. from. He was restrained by the nails and the cross. Physically, he couldn't move from them, but yet he still received his blessing at that point of the cross where the other one did not receive the blessing because he was blaspheming God at the being in the same geographical place. One was blessed, one was the complete opposite. I wish I'm speaking to you. And so the one was blessed, he didn't have to move. All he had to do was make a confession. Is we confess what we desire, we want God, and God will respond to the desire of our heart, praise God. We have to go back to that first love, which is very, very important, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And so, this is why, but we can only love him because he first loved us. In first epistle of John chapter 4 verse 19, I just want to qualify these verses for your benefit, your sakes, when you go back home, you go look over the passages and encourage yourselves. Be excited because God loves you. The fact that we are here today, we, we've overcome the week to be here. God loves us. There are some people who have not made the end of the week, but we have. We are victorious. We are champions. We are more than conquerors because we are here. We love him because he first loved us. He showed us the way. And we reciprocate that love if we do so. How do we reciprocate that love? He died for us that we will live for him. Praise God. Hallelujah. In the book of Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, this is what we're told. John writes in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. I want you to think of these passages very carefully. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. We need that first love is where the blessing is connected. It's in that first love. The blessing is connected to that first love. Hallelujah. And what is the first love? Jesus tells us what the first love is connected to the greatest commandment. Who knows what the first great commandment is? Who knows it? Quick, shout it. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's the two commandments that the law and the prophets is founded on. And the thing is, let me just qualify this. I'll read it from the passage. Let's take it from Luke chapter 12, sorry, from Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where the Lord quotes, it's quoted. He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Okay, just highlight the Greek there. Let me just go up to the Greek. Just hand out the Greek. It says, Ischios, su afti prodi entoli, prodi entoli. This is the prodi, the first commandment, he said. Okay, this is the first. He says, the, the most important, the first. We need to go back to that first. 
brought in. And we read the book of Revelation, we have to go to the brought in, the first love. Amen. Praise God. Which is superior than everything else. First love. Hallelujah. Praise God. We need to return to that place. So, through the, to get there though, some things have to be take place in order to get back to that first love. A few things have to happen. We, it's not just automatic, says I want to go, you, make, you, you say what you want to do, but you, it, it, it happens automatically without your involvement. You've got to be involved in that journey to get to your first love. Abram had to be involved in getting back to that first place of blessing. Amen. And this is highlighted also in the life of Jacob. Jacob sometimes veered and steered off from that center place he should be in his, where his blessing was. And God calls him to go back to Bethel, I wish, back to the house of God. And it's a meta, a spiritual uh, journey we take. And this is highlighted if we read in Genesis. Let me just look at a few passages here before uh, we finish uh, today's message. Because it's very, very important that we put everything in place. This is Genesis chapter 35. And let's read from verse 1. There's a few things we have to do. And these are the things that we have to do. Okay, watch this. He has to go back to his first, where he's blessing in, and back to the first love. This is what we have to do. Then God said to Jacob, arise. The prodigal son was in the far country. He said, I will arise. I told you to get up from where you are. Don't procrastinate. Get up and make an act. The man who was paralyzed for 38 years, Jesus said to him, get up. It's time to get up. Because if we do what we did, we're going to get what we got. If we have the same conversation, we're going to go around in circles. Just get up. Change something. Do something different. You'll have a different outcome. Einstein said the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. Then God said to Jacob, arise. Go up. Get up and go up to Bethel, the house of God. But the word Bethel means Bethel. We saw Friday, Beth is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it means house. The word Bethel is a two words conjoined together, which means Bethel means God. Bethel, house of God. In the same way, Bethlehem means house of bread. Beth is house, Elechem is bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. And the bread of life is born in the house of bread. Uh, Bethel. And dwell there. Make your abode there. Yeah. And make an altar there to God. And what is the altar we make unto God? The altar we make unto God is our hearts. Yeah. That we must become that Bethel, this representation of Bethel. We, you are the house of God. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Watch what it says here. Watch this. It says this. It says this. 1 Corinthians 3.16, very quickly, we can just get over to it. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Where was Jesus? Where did they find Jesus? In the temple. Hallelujah. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So Jesus is in the temple, the Spirit of God is in the temple, and the God, that's the Father's house is the temple. So you have the tripartite Godhead in you, and you have so much to celebrate about. So why are you being distracted when the creator holds everything, sustains the universe together? He's in you. There's nothing to fear, nothing to worry. The one who spoke things into being from nothing can speak your blessings, your, your destiny into being if you trust on him. Yeah, come on. 
And so we become the Bethel. So back to Genesis chapter 35 with our friend Jacob who becomes Israel. He says, then Jacob said to, then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there and make an altar for there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. So God was with him. In the time of his fear, God was with him. Verse 2, this is it now. This is what we have to do to get there. It's painful sometimes to the natural man, but blessing, refreshment to the spiritual man. But we want physical gratification, so we don't, we hold on to the natural things instead of letting go of it because, because there's something better. God has something better for us. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. You want to get back to that place? You really want to get to that place? There's some things that you're carrying, you've got to let go. There's some things you're entangled with, you've got to let go. There's some things that are running in your head, round your head, that you've got to let go. How, what do we define? How do we find a foreign God, a strange God? The Greek says, a strange God. Those that are strange, those have to go. What is a strange God? Anything, he says, the first great commandment, the first command is love God with your heart, all your strength, all your soul, and all your might. That's the first great commandment, the broadening, it says, yeah? So, so, so anything that comes between that first, that confession of the first commandment is a strange God. Even if it's, and the Lord had to deal with the bigger God in our lives, when he came and invited us, he said, deny who? Someone else? Stop being friends with him. Doesn't matter. It's easier to stop being a friend with someone else. Stop being a friend of yourself. <laughs> You're the problem. You're your own God. You've made God in your image and your likeness. That God has to go. Lock, stock and barrel. That God has to be defeated. That God has to be overcome. That God has to be put away. The God of self has to go. Selfishness, self-gratification has to go. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you want to be successful in life, you need a mentor. And sometimes your mentor will tell you to change your lifestyle to achieve your outcome. If you want to lose weight, you've got to do this. If you, if you don't do that, you're going to be remain, you're going to be what you are. But if you want to change, you've got to do certain things. If you want to become more healthy, you've got to do, change your lifestyle. Your diet has to change. But sometimes you delight in your, in your, in your uh, quick fixes with your sugar rushes and all this. And, and you neglect the, the, the advice, the health advice. And you have the, the, the outcome uh, that which becomes detrimental to your physical well-being. But there is also a spiritual diet and a spiritual lifestyle that if you don't comply to, if you're not complicit to it with your body, soul and spirit, it will be detrimental to your development, your progress in relation to your spiritual development. Hallelujah, praise God. Watch the binge eating spiritually. You've got to be careful what you're consuming because you become the product of what you eat. Yeah? So if we want to get back, we've got to do this. Put away the foreign gods. What are the foreign gods? Anything that distracts you and, and feeds your physical desires. There are conflict. There's good 
physical desires and there's negative physical desires. The negative ones are hate, jealousy, embitterment, anger, unforgiveness. These things have to go. Because they lord over you, they control you, they become a, po- a poison. And often people say, you know, if you hate on someone, you're just poisoning yourself. And we've got to be careful that we're not poisoning ourselves. Bring the healing. We don't have to let other people live in our minds rent free. In fact, we're paying them to live in our minds. Yeah? So why are we drawing from the Old Testament to get New Testament uh, principles and truths and counsel and teaching and lessons? It's because the Bible tells us so. Because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7 verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual. So the law is the Torah. And this is what is recorded in, the, the, in Genesis, one of the five books of Moses, to tell us that we need to let, get rid of our foreign gods. What is the God that you are carrying around with you? If not yourself, we've got to get rid of their, their foreign, our foreign gods. And then let me go back to Genesis 2. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Amen. So we get rid of our foreign gods. We change our garments. What do we do? Change our garments. Put something new on. What's the new that we put on? Well, the Bible is very clear, explains it very clearly. We've got to put on Christ. We've got to put it because he is what qualifies us to get into the the, the advantage that God has for us. The blessings that God has for us. Hallelujah. And this is why we're told in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul should be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness change our clothes put on god's cloth garment it's better than visachi it's better than hugo boss and what's the ladies garments i don't know but you know the brands it outshines them You want to do the red carpet in Hollywood? Wear the garments of the Lord. Hallelujah. Take off the old and put on the new. Today I want to invite you in the image of the cross here. We're coming up to Friday. We're going to have our production on Friday and on Sunday. Please invite your friends, invite your families. It's a life-changing event. You're going to leave here. You're never going to be the same again. We're going to have a spiritual health warning connected to the production. You come here one way, you're going to leave a completely different way. Hallelujah. Praise God. So as we have the symbol of the cross here, just imagine. It's a change of clothes. It's a new. Out with the old, in with the new. Leave your old at the cross and leave with the new what God has for you on this day. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God has so much for you. And you know, so to come back to to our place of blessing, we have to leave a few things. Only you can... Acknowledge what they may be that are holding you back. The cord strings that are holding you back have to be severed. The soft of the spirit has to sever those cord strings. So you'll be set free because if the sun sets you free, you are truly free indeed. Praise the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 it says, says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run. Don't stroll, don't walk backwards, run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
But Paul says, I run the race. I finish, he said. A crown awaits for me in glory. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, you know. But when you do have the change, don't make the mistake of just leaving things as they are. Because sometimes things have a tendency of getting worse. So when you've changed, you've got rid of your strange gods, whatever they may represent. You, I'm not here to tell each one of you we, we need to have self-reflection in ourselves and we get rid of them. You need to, that void that is, comes about because of getting rid of you, there's an empty space has to be filled with the presence of God. He stands at the door and knocks. If you leave it empty, other people will occupy that place. Hallelujah, praise God. Other people, other things will occupy that place. So if you establish God. In fact, the Lord gave a parable, a quite powerful, stern kind of warning through a parable. If we read in Luke chapter 11, verse 24, I'm going to finish on these last few thoughts. Think about this. He says, Jesus said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I'll return to my house from which I came. It's interesting because we don't acknowledge spiritual demonic powers today but Jesus spoke about them all the time Jesus encountered them all the time Jesus beat them up all the time Jesus cast them out all the time and we don't even speak about them why perhaps the question is perhaps we come to uh, desensitize to them we become uh, friendly with them your, 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 your association with demonic powers determines how close you are to God when Jesus came off the boat, went to the place of Gadarines, crossed over the Sea of Galilee, came to Gadarines, and a demon-possessed man came and saw him. The demons confessed, shouted, what do we have to do with you? If the demons have anything to do with you, perhaps you need, your, you need to examine your associations. You, son of the Most High, do not cast us into the abyss, but allow, permit us to go into the swine. They prayed to him. They begged him. Can you imagine the, the demons begging Jesus? And Jesus says, I permit you. He answered their prayer. And we, his children, are reluctant to pray. They, God doesn't answer my Hold it a second. If God answers those demons' prayer, why shouldn't he answer your prayer? And he said, I'll permit you. Going to, and they went into the swine. They went and drowned themselves. Because sometimes, God doesn't sometimes give you everything you need. What the demons are saying, they got, they got it. I've been praying, God doesn't give me anything. Because maybe what he gave you doesn't want you to drown. You get that when you get home. So he speaks about demonic. He says that people are delivered from influences. He says it goes into a dry place. He says, and he says, I'll return to my house from which I can. His house. He should no longer have the title deeds of the house. You need to transfer the title deeds of your house to God and let him take over. He has the occupancy. He has a freehold. He doesn't have a lease. Many of us give God rent in our house. We give him a lease. The lease is expiring. Either you renew it or you're going to get out. We're going to evict you. God is evicted from his house oftentimes because someone pays a, a higher physical price. And he says, my house, I go back to my house. The demons cannot say my house. You're not the demon's house. You're the Lord's house. You are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. No power can have an advantage over you. You are more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. How can a demon come and say, this is my house? He should be afraid walking around your neighborhood. (laughs) 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Yeah, kick him out. Hallelujah. Praise God. Do you ever have those uh, neighbours, noisy neighbours, troublemaker neighbours? Hallelujah. Be in the neighbourhood of the Spirit. Go back to that Bethel place. He says, I will go, I return to my house. How can he say my house? Your house is not his house. Your house is God's house. Hallelujah. And when he comes, he finds it swept, put in order. So he's vacated. He's gone off for vacation. And he's coming back. He must not be able to get in the house. Because Christ is established. He says, the rule of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. And if Christ is in you, the devil has no power in you. He's everything written against you. He's been nailed on the cross. Hallelujah. He's humiliated the powers of darkness on the cross. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. So he goes and gets his friends. They want to have a party in your house that he thinks is his house. Hallelujah. Praise God. And, and he says, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So he's saying that when the demon speaks about a house, he's speaking about a person. And so if we don't really put things in place, having a, a righteous disposition, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto us. We're going to have the complete the antithesis of that. Because we're not growing. And we get desensitized to what's right and wrong. So we, it's the vision, the, the boundaries are blurred. The line is blurred between what's sin and what's righteousness. So we start looking at sin as acceptable and the boundaries go bigger and bigger. Why The goalposts change. And therefore, before we know it, we think it's normal to be abnormal, to be against God. Dare I say that? And anyone who wants to speak about truth is stoned, mocked. But we need to stand on the true allegory word of God. That wasn't a, com- a joke. Jesus was not a comedian. Jesus was not a clown on that cross. Blood was shed. He was beaten to be unrecognizable for you and for me, for our house, that we give him our house. Jesus said, the birds of the air have nests. The beasts of the fish have dens. But the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head because he's looking for a house. May your house become his house. Give him your house. Give him your heart as his home, praise God. Hallelujah, praise God. Let's give him the praise and the glory today. Hallelujah. And if you love God, it must reflect in your life. These are fine a few words. It has to reflect in your behavior. It must reflect in your priorities. It must reflect in your purse, they I say. Because we spend extortionate money to enjoy ourselves in the natural but we neglect our spiritual well-being and we neglect the great commission to make disciples of all the nations hallelujah praise God so we've got to, that's got to reflect in what we say how we live our priorities and what we what we invest in in the world because where your where your treasure is that's where your heart is and if you're spending more for the, in the world than you are committing to God, then you obviously, what, where, is your, where, where is your heart? Amen. What would it profit a, man, profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I let that resonate in your spirits. Let's stand together as we give the Lord the praise and glory.
Amen. Hallelujah. It's not just turning away from something. It's turning to someone. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just lift up a praise.